0: So, let's just uh, talk informally. Are there any questions? Anyone besides be Vivek have, have a question? Yes.
1: I have a question about um, mindfulness, flow. You hear these terms used a lot in the New Age or the yeah, well, Buddhist well, world. Or well, even... Uh Sports. In the sports, yeah. That this whole idea of, you know, finding that place where you kind of transcend, huh? The zone. The zone, yeah, exactly. You're in the zone. And, you know, it's something I think we all experience in our material existence. I used to experience it sometimes playing tennis where I just kind of transcend my body and be in a kind of in another state of consciousness where have everything became very effortless. When well, speaking, sometimes. Yeah. Right? Well, <clears throat> well, I understand. So, so, so the, I'm wondering, is that a transcendent experience that people have? And it, although it's not even connected to Krishna, it's just, uh, you know, we're just doing mundane things, but we're absorbed, we're focused, and we're, um, of course, having that experience as a devotee. It's it's different. There's a different kind of quality to it, but.
0: Is it blissful? It, is it blissful? Yeah, there is some there is kind of a blissfulness to it. And playing mm tennis, mm-hmm. kind of a blissfulness. Kind of a blissfulness. It's yeah. An
1: absorption. It's just that like, it's kind of like when you it, there's a time where you just kind of you're no longer in your body, kind of experience, and everything just. Flows, is how they come up with that term, the flow. And Get all the right shots. It's like you're not the doer anymore. You've just kind of gotten out of the way and everything's just kind of. The towel of tennis or the golf or something. Yeah, so they have, you know, so much of, you know, is being, you know, written about this kind of. You
0: yeah, haven't read that much about it. Um, and I don't have much experience of.
1: never played tennis. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, I don't have much, ex- you know. No, I never did play tennis, actually, but, you know, outside, you know, I've been involved in this for so long, so that uh, I don't have much experience of, you know, to talk from about getting absorbed in something else, but um, I would think that um, just from what you say, that um, they may be talking about or you may be experiencing some... um, Point in which the mind becomes still. And as I was saying the other night, if, if your mind's not attached to the sense that's contacting the sense object, then you don't experience it. And so if it's only focused on that without any distraction, then there is a level of absorption and presence in that particular moment and so forth that affords one the the closest thing I guess you could say to the full experience of that moment without distraction and one finds that life is perhaps not as bad as as they thought the mind keeping one from often with its vacillation and so forth from that kind of presence and when the mind stops then in one sense, the self kind of has the opportunity to come out from underneath the the oppression of that, and so maybe they they feel them a little bit of themselves or something like that. Or like I say, it's it's hard to say without the experience myself. But um, I don't know how blissful they get when the you know the pitcher's in the zone or something like that, and he's making all strikes or something. But 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 it's a it's I can. Just for the the term mindfulness, it it seems that it implies that the mind is not distracted. And so then there's a lot more force to that, a lot more complete concentration, absorption, and so forth. And and that's a fair amount of the effort in life is is to get the mind lined up with what you're doing (laughs) so that you can do it right. And so to the extent that it is, it's reasonable to conclude that it becomes easier and almost seems effortless because really, like I said that, that is a large part of the effort and if you're not if you're completely distracted even though you're doing it you don't you don't experience it, right so if you completely concentrate on it at the same time then it makes sense then, then, then it becomes easier, effortless and again, because that is the effort to bring the mind in line and so that's that's probably the idea of what they're talking about, and it, it does would seem otherworldly to an extent because, the, for the most part, the worldly experience is, is a uh, that of a distracted mind. And so, the, I, I suppose then there are people who advocate that type of thing with regard to meditation and, and you know, approach it in a more kind of a sophisticated way as a, as a practice and people ad, ad, advise concentration, dharna, withdrawing the mind from everything else to sip one object, any object. Doesn't matter what the object is, something like that. The point being to to still the mind. So as much as you can still the mind then some sense of your that, you, that your existence beyond the mind, which in its distracted state is preoccupying us, and can be uh, theoretically experienced. But But then we don't think that the object of meditation is arbitrary. We could say that the object is arbitrary, that you could meditate on anything and it wouldn't matter, in terms of attaining prem but that would require a proper sambanda gan or conceptual orientation that would allow you to look at everything or any particular thing and think of it in relation to Krishna and thus become completely absorbed in Krishna consciousness by thinking, concentrating, giving all your mental attention to any particular thing a blade of grass, a tree, a stone, whatever it is, it, it's, it's, it's possible in the context of Krishna consciousness. So outside of Krishna consciousness it may be possible to achieve some other worldly sense and sense of self and one sense of one's existence that that transcends and that is a you know a witness to, to the world, an effortless kind of life or experience. Then, of course, from our tradition's point of view, without bhakti, factoring in bhakti, that's not going to be uh, perfected. That's just not, there are many things to experience that are in the direction of spirituality that will fall short of mukti, of liberation, would speak of prema. And uh, it's probably likely that a lot of people do experience that, and some people are writing about it, talking about it, and, and so on and so forth, but uh, comes and goes I suppose. And even if you were to do it systematically, as I say, in a, in a yogic kind of a context as a practice, meditate on any one thing and so on, still the mind, that's... Um, such effort is not sufficient in and of itself to afford liberation. Little bhakti, as we've said many times at least, must be there, in grace, and then what will you get, you know, what, what do you want? Just to want to steal the mind is rather a selfish thing. There's no love in that, you see. There's no love in gan whatsoever. It's completely selfish. It's deceptive, no doubt, because, well, the karma marg is obviously selfish. People do things only for themselves, and people who don't do anything How can they be selfish, it would seem. But actually, it's very insidious. It's like the difference between white-collar and blue-collar and white-collar crime, something like that. Somebody's an outright thief. Another person is, like, in a corporation and (laughs) changing the figures and uh, going home with millions. He, He looks like a respectable citizen. They even treat him like that when he goes to court and whatnot. But he's actually a bigger criminal than the uh, fellow who robbed the d- dime store. He's taken more money, he's hurt more people, he's exploited more people, and, and so on. But he gets a big trial and all kinds of press and, and uh, cons- like special... Day cons- day yeah. <laughs> movie, make a movie about special consideration and so forth and so on. So Gannemar is like that. It's uh, it's very self Selfish. And karma marg is overtly selfish, but the gan marg is more co- covertly selfish. So it's all for me only. It's only for for me. I don't want to suffer. I don't want any any pain. I don't want to work because I find work is troublesome. So this, where's the, where's the heart in that? There's this heartless, absolutely heartless, completely selfish. But it looks to be, and it's even talked about. These days, the only popular forms of Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta are those that, are, that, that they call themselves the paths of the heart, uh, or those are the most popular ones, the heart paths. And, and they talk about the, the type of abstract love and selfishness, selflessness that you can find in, in the Gyan Marg, which is foregoing the overt exploitation of material life in general the taking that uh, one the influence of the mind and senses must be involved in foregoing that and then some kind of you know it's an abstract kind of love and selflessness and compassion for other people and, and so but it, it only goes those are the ones that are popular which just serves to underscore our, our point, that uh, the heart has to be satisfied, that it's a, such, a, such a shallow place to try to find that in Buddhism and, in, uh, and Dvaita Vedanta, to, to, to find fulfillment of the heart, to find love. The best you can do, as I say, is some abstract form of it where you're not taking overtly and um, helping other people not to take, they call it compassion, but Compassion is only a form of love that can be expressed in relation to people who are less than oneself. Unless your Mother Yashoda. Then you can show compassion to Krishna, karunya, Rasa, sympathy for him, and so forth. But otherwise, in Bhakti, then, we can show love to our superior, to Krishna. She's doing that, of course, as well. So it evaporates at some point. Either you get liberated or everybody gets liberated or, or whatever. Compassion. So, no, it's it's, it's actually very, uh, very selfish. You don't want to suffer. It's completely self-centered. And more insidious and it's because it's, uh, it has an overt appearance of being selfless and spiritual and so forth. And, otherworldly. Therefore, Mahaprabhu said something like that, like a wolf in sheep's clothing, the, the, the Mayavadis in particular, that idea, it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing, more dangerous. This is, of course, we said it before, but it's it's worth repeating. It's, it's, it's a, a very unique kind of perspective." of the bhakti mark of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's bhakti in particular that it sees more value more redeeming uh, value or uh, qualities in karma marg than in a gyan marg that's like another example of how we like turning the religious world on its head that the gross pursuit of material acquisition is better than the pursuit of salvation, which involves foregoing material acquisition and that gross form of exploitation. Because of this, the in the Gyanamarg, a particular sangskara is is created that's anti-service. And in Karma Marg, even if you want to get, which everybody does. And when I speak of Karma Marg, I'm not speaking of it here as, as a yoga for sacrificing the fruits of one's activity, but I mean just the path of Previrti Marg, material acquisition, treading the path of karma for the sake of, which is kind of a scientific and systematic way of acquiring. Um, but. Um, besides the marg, the path of adhering to the Vedic injunctions and so forth for increasing one's material prospect, just the moving in in the pursuit of one's material prospect, even systematically, I'm including all of this. In that, one has to serve. One has to develop some semblance of a serving ego. It's unavoidable. Just like I told a story the other day, I had a, Years ago, when we first left Discount, we were doing a magazine called Clarion Call. And there was just a few of us, and um, at one point I hired a lady in San Francisco to do graphic design. And I had two ladies. One was uh, doing advertising, getting advertising, and one was doing graphic design. And, uh, and I was more or less writing all the articles under different names, and some articles from the Shriramarsh and I had rewrote some of those a bit. And it was a pretty, you know, big endeavor for a couple of people. But then there was a devotee who came along, a lady, and um, she was a Harinam disciple of Prabhupada and took second initiation from Shriramarsh. And so she was some kind of an artist, and she wanted to draw for the magazine, and I was a little Reluctant. It's really difficult to deal with that because the art is a little subjective and, you know, it's a big effort to make a picture. And then if you don't like it, what do you say to the person after they've made all that effort? But you might not. So <laughs> at any rate, she wanted to draw and I was a little resistant, but she pushed and so and then she did it and I didn't like the pictures very much. So what do you do now? You know, You have to, you have to tell her and so forth. And so... One way or other i did and and she was uh was a great blow to her ego and Meanwhile, I was passing by, and I overheard a conversation in in the next room, which I had designated as kind of the layout and design room and there she was talking to the to the graphic designer whom I had hired, and she was presenting her case. I made these pictures and you know and it, and, the, and the graphic designer was just like preaching, like pure Krishna consciousness, without any you know. Having studied the scriptures, or I never preached to her really either, but she was just speaking from her common experience. She said, "Well, you know, you go to art school like I did, you know, and I thought I was going to do this and that, make my mark, and be, but I ended up, you know, you find that you just got to work for somebody, and and the whole idea is that you got to please the boss, you know." whatever he wants or whatever she wants, that's what it's all about, you know. It's not about what you, <laughs> what your talent is or, you know... She was So she was just preaching about how you got to be a servant in the world, even just to, to get by, to get your ambition fulfilled, to get your desires and so on. It was just like nectar to my ears to hear her, you know, preaching, and she didn't realize it, Krishna consciousness, to a devotee. <laughs> And really, you know, basic and fundamental points, which is an example of how we can get distracted from what it's about. So in the, anyway, in the, in the in the world, in the realm of karma, there's this, you've got to be a servant to some extent. There's a prospect of that. And in Ganmar you're just erase, erasing that. I don't want to serve. And so that's, you don't want that kind of tendency coming within you. And there's... Serves as, a, as an obstacle to bhakti. We want bhakti sanskar ultimately, but according to bhakti marga and this is a bhakti of chaitanya mahaprabhu sees it. Just see how they emphasize the bhakti and the, and the serving ego. You see, it's very extreme in chaitanya bhakti. The serving ego. It's the ego of the of braj bhakti. It's not the ego of vaikunta. And therefore, as I've said before, they refer to it. The Vaikuntha, Vaidhi Marg, Sampradaya as mukti, the ideal. They don't refer to it as prem. We're generous, Rupa Goswami is generous to call it the prem. But there are people in Vaikuntha who, who just sit there, meditate on the Lord, Shantaras. How do we feel about Shantaras in Gaudi Sampradaya? We're not very, it's like in the, with the broadest brush, talking about... Rasa Goswami mentions it and explains it in Bhakti Rasa Marita Sindhu. But, but for the most part it's counted out. Mahaprabhu came to give four sentiments, the sentiments of braj. All, all, he came to give all what constitutes the braj-bhakti, what makes it up, all those types of bhavas, dasya, sakya, vatsalya, madhurya And the dasya-bhakti of braj is not like don't think it's like the Dasya Bhakti of Vaikuntha. It's not like that at all. It's entirely different. It's not that the servants are all in awe and reverence of Krishna and but in the context of the Leela, they are servants. Malia Shoda is the, is, the, uh, is, the, is the Rani, the queen of the cowherds. Nandamar is the king. They have servants in their house. And so they do the servant roles and so forth. But it's not to, not like dasi bhakti or bhakti. That's an entirely different affair. And shanta rasa there is is in the background, and uh, kind of indirectly present, not mentioned, Chaitanya mahaprabhu And when mentioned, only with often with some disdain. But in bhakti you can find them, and it's a glorious thing. But it might involve just just uh, n- not even uh, having the pers- the outside darshan of narayana inside darshan so the serving ego is so, so therefore such an emphasis in a Brajbhakti. therefore from that perspective whatever we may do that may create a sangskara that is Contrary to serving, this will be seen as very detrimental. So the unique perspective, you don't find this perspective in Ramanuja Sampradaya, for example. But in Gaudiya Sampradaya you find this unique, that better to be in the realm of karma than in the realm of, in pursuance of the realm of jnana, exclusive of of bhakti. Of course there's jnana mixed with bhakti where the Aishvarya of Bhagawan is... Present and serving ego is cultivated and so forth. But gyan, exclusive of bhakti, compared to karma, devoid of bhakti, will be less uh, favorable. Better to be a, a gross exploiter. Better to be a blue-collar criminal, a 7-Eleven, you know, <laughs> cash register robber than a... Um, Enron corporate uh, corporate criminal. So <laughs> yeah. and the point being again so much that it is it is about braj Bhakti, Bhakti, serving ego. This is the extreme of not only material selflessness but spiritual selflessness. We've said it before. I mean there's no their sense of self is that that krishna is mine mamata he's mine it's come to that they've completely merged with with the love of they are love of krishna they become the love there's no more there's no like devotion where there's the object of service and there's a devotee and there's the offering they've become the offering themselves and the result is that uh, that's Krishna. Krishna is the result of that in one sense. Well, what does Krishna mean then in this context? It means having the Absolute in the palm of your hand to do with as you like. That's what Krishna means. That's not Narayan. Narayan has got his place, his personality, his rules of conduct, and so forth. How to relate with him and all. Krishna means like putty in the hands of the devotee to do what he, the absolute do, do what you want with him he's they've tested this sloka of the Gita as they surrendered to me I reward them accordingly he's tested them they've tested him excuse me his promise they've taken it to the limit and he's purchased by that's what it means to be Yashoda undone. For the absolute to show this face, the son of Yashoda, dependent upon him, on her, entirely, and it's not a play. He really is at her disposal. He really is conquered by love. So this, or, or as Krishna's friend, or as as someone's friend, or as someone's lover, and so forth. This is means. That, As I say, to have him absolute in your hand, in, in the palm of your hand, if, do with him as you like. He's completely given over. So, this kind of serving, hmm, this kind of selflessness. So, therefore, as I say, anything opposed to that, as sophisticated as it may be and as thoughtful as Gyan may be in comparison to a life of simply exploitation gross exploitation and acquisition and pursuit of ignorance of material enjoyment this gyanmarg is uh, more detrimental to attaining this kind of bhakti therefore in Vaikuntha, Bhai- well, some serving goes there but not to the same measure as we find in in and vrindavan so there may be such thing. The talk was, the question was about mindfulness and being in the flow, and these type of terms that people are using, and so forth. So, there's some place for that. The more you absorb your mind in any particular thing that you're doing, activity or object or whatever, and it's not distracted, then the more you're going to be in one sense, out of the world, so there's another world experience, because the world is the experience of the distracted mind. That's the world. It doesn't enable you to be in any particular place or focus on any particular thing entirely and get out of it what there is to get out of it, or because the mind is moving in so many directions at the same time and taking your attention there, there's no... In that, there's no scope for experiencing yourself. So with mindfulness, then, there's some scope for that. But without factoring in bhakti, then one's not going to... Tr- even if you do that in a systematic way, one's not going to transcend material existence. Altogether, what to speak of entering into... Even by kunto. Do you think
1: that some of those techniques of mindfulness for a devotee to use for helping them to focus on say, their japa or their deity worship and that that could be useful or helpful because it seems like so many devotees have been chanting for many many years and they're still very distracted from their practices whereas it seems like you know these buddhists and you know they really can concentrate on an object or you know an maybe it would be helpful actually to kind
0: of incorporate some of that? I mean, I know you've said in the past, I know you've made statements that you didn't think it would be helpful, but... It's all a gyan. It's all gan, marg. It's not bhakti. But Goswami says in the beginning a little gan, a little detachment might be helpful. Might It's a misunderstanding of bhakti, really, which isn't so easy to understand perhaps, but... Bhakti is completely descending controlling the mind is ascending <laughs> but you think what I mean I don't have to try to control my mind no you have to let you have to invite Krishna into your life you have, to, you have to posture yourself such that that you' become appealing to Krishna so he comes into your life and takes over your mind just like you fall in love with somebody takes over your mind. You might be doing so many, you might be married and have a family and everything. Then, you know, you fall in love with some other lady or something. There it goes. It happens to people. Not a good thing, but he's out the door, effortlessly.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> there he goes. Hmm. So this is the <laughs> idea of bhakti. But somebody says, well, in the beginning, maybe a little gan might be helpful as possible. That once Ruchi comes and the senses are taken over, the mind is taken over, is the idea. So we want to posture ourselves such that we direct, we attract the sympathy. So that requires a certain disposition and the cultivation of that. It's not necessarily a controlled mind and, and so on and so forth. But yes, the mind is going to have to come under control to be fully Krishna conscious, but this is how it, we do it. You know, and then one has to be practical, like in, in, uh, for meditation, then things are mentioned in the Gita, sit on a you know seat not too high, not too low, and fix the mind in one point. But on the Sutta, this topic is taken up also, where it's, uh, there's the question of the, whether the, about the sitting position, and so the sitting position is the proper position for doing meditation and so forth, and But ultimately, it's concluded there that whatever position works, that's the best. Whatever situation by which the mind will become focused, that's best. This kind of goes from a form thing to a substance thing. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend uh, necessarily incorporating those techniques, but then Rupa Goswami says in the beginning, a little, little Gyan may be useful. But association with advanced devotees kirtan, and immersing oneself in all those limbs of bhakti, that would be very useful. And the idea is, of course, it's about absorption. So you want a continuum, you want to get in a situation that's conducive to being in a continuous flow of service and mindfulness of of Krishna. So otherwise you incorporate in different techniques and then you become dependent upon the techniques and your bhakti becomes becomes mixed.
1: Well, I mean, even Vita-bhakti has a lot of rules and regulations of things, kind of more, kind of, you know, things not to do and things to do that will... It seems like they're more about controlling the senses and the mind and it seems like that's the... Well,
0: Vaidhi Bhakti is about hearing, chanting, remembering, worshiping, offering prayers. Some and substance of Vaidhi Bhakti is are two rules. Whatever, what is it? Smartavyam satatam Vishnu of nākātna yeah. No, always remember Krishna, never forget Krishna. These are the two overriding rules of Vaidhi Bhakti. Always remember the Lord, never forget Him. So whatever by which you do that you can accomplish that, then you're doing all the rules of Vaidhi Bhakti, you're fulfilling all of them. That's Vaidhi Bhakti. If you study the path itself, Bhakti, then you see that there's, there's no better way to control the mind by importing in some other technique or something like that so why devotees are having difficulty controlling their minds probably not understanding bhakti or or applying themselves very well you know, Jnana is also about controlling it's about trying to go somewhere karma jnana about trying to go somewhere bhakti is not about going anywhere They're about trying to keep control of the situation. Bhaktis, like, you're not in control. Put yourself in the hands of Krishna. It's a very different affair. But we're holding back. We want to keep Keep in control. We're not sure. So, better to have good association. It's said to sit and chant in the the association of advanced devotees. That will help you control your mind. That's what's recommended. These kind of things. He asked Bhaktivedanta, how do I control my mind? This is what he says. Of course, he also recommended close the door and blindfold yourself. But that's... So, we can do that. Hmm. He says, "Chant Hare Krishna. So, yeah, just sit down, chant in a quiet place. And obviously, where you're not going to be distracted by so many other things. That's uh, the Goswamis have shown that example. They had beautiful ashrams in uh, in Vrindavan where they sat to do their to do their bhajan. Beautiful, peaceful, but also conducive for Bhakti. Rupa Goswami made his place at Ter Kodamba there. We were there recently. The meeting place of Sakiras and Madhuri Ras there. He made his place there. He might he might then he might have the catch a darshan of Krishna. <laughs> so, that's a kind of a, the principle that you're talking about, the technique and uh, just chant. Yeah, but why not chant like this, in this place, and sit this way, and face that way, and do this. So there's some of that. You know, but you just do it the way that great devotees have done it. Bhakti Bhaktisiddhanta talk about it in a unique way. He did his chanting in the public, I mean, Sankirtan is a public event. But Chaitanya Chet, Mahaprabhu did also, I, I guess you can say, he took it to foreign lands and outside of the Dham and so forth. But after time, it had become customary only to do such in the Dham, whereas to the took it to Calcutta. And his idea was like something like confront, by confronting the world of the disturbed and distracted mind head-on, the best defense is good offense, something like that. So his campaign for canvassing and a dynamic idea of kirtan was, had great potential. To, just like the idea of trying to explain these things to, uh, to the modern world, it's like, you've got to think about that, how i am going to do that? So it has great potential to capture, capture the mind. It was such, so he didn't say go sit in a quiet place and just chant don't be distracted he said go to the most distri- distracting place in the world <laughs> and try to attract people to Krishna and your mind will be controlled your heart will be captured because that will take so much mental effort that will tax your mental system and your intellect see this is how you, to achieve the principle, he's altering the detail, so much so that even Gaurakaswar Das Babaji Maharaj said, what well, you want go to Calcutta for? That is a realm of Maya. Don't go there. I'll never go there. But he went. Of course, he had the inspiration of, of Thakur Bhakti Vinod. So he did the opposite thing that was the norm for the longest time. And, you know, what example, as I say, is set by Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, they had beautiful, peaceful ashram for chanting, for doing bhajan. And he went into Calcutta and other parts and wanted to go outside of India even, where people never heard of such a thing and thought you were, you know, go talk to the British who were ruling India and tell them that they, they got it all wrong. This was his idea, had, had a control of the mind purify the heart and so it has a lot of makes a lot of sense of course then you can see where then going in that direction there can become an error that needs correction also because we have to see that if we're, if we're doing that we have to in either instance we have to look for the results and that's what he was looking for people going to the jungle and chanting but they weren't getting the results in fact they were getting opposite results the heart wasn't becoming purified so we changed the course and sent them into the, into the world in the harvest where we're becoming purified. Now if you see they're in the world and so-called preaching and saving the world, but becoming prouder and prouder and, and more and more narrow in their understanding and this kind of thing, and, and then you think, well, oh, it's not working. I have to come back the other side here. And then they will call you a heretic and, and all such things. not following the standard program you know nowadays a lot of times people want to do things that Prabhupada did things that that pleased Prabhupada when Prabhupada was here they feel this is a safe course, like somebody wants to put on you know, Ratha Yatra somewhere, it's a big effort and the result is very little but if you suggest something else they just feel safe, they want to do what you know, pleased Prabhupada, I was there you know Forty years ago, he was doing that. It worked then. Prophet spiritual, so it should work now. And nothing else is sure. Well, the fact of the matter is that it's not sure either. You have to look for the, the result and see. And that's not what Prophet was doing. He wasn't doing any particular thing. He was being dynamic and creating a program that would that worked. And those kind of programs have to be adjusted and changed according to time and circumstance to capture it. The minds and hearts of people, students of bhakti, and so forth. So it's not safe. Neither does it really necessarily constitute uh, following him. At least not in a dynamic way. And if it did, then you'd have results. Because the why not the same results aren't there. I'm not saying you shouldn't do rathiyatra or something, but in some places I would, I would, I would. Anyway, don't ask me what I do, but. In, in principle this is the idea what else any other questions yes
3: uh, Maharaj you know how um, the Lord is so kind that he is trying to attract all the souls back to him and he displays his pastimes so um, why would he send Lord Shiva to um, take people away by preaching Maya philosophy so that they'll never be attracted to him like, why would he do such a thing? Oh, and what Shiva must not like doing that either? Because he's such a great devotee.
0: Yeah, he doesn't like it so much. His wife doesn't like very much her business either of chastising all the conditioned souls. She feels embarrassed to come before him on account of that. And... uh Shiva, in some places has expressed embarrassment also for his engagement. But in the Gita, Krishna says, and this is his uh, liberality and kindness, and and, and, and he says that I make people's faith strong according to the way in which they want to be. If somebody wants to be an atheist, I give them reasoning by which they can be an atheist. So he provides that kind of thing. And you um, and may say, well, why, did, why would he do such a thing? And in, a, in a sense, it's like if there's no, you know, we use the term free will, it's kind of almost like redundant, free will. Will is, we have freedom. We're a unit of will and without that whether we have no life. So, you said it uh, in your question that Krishna wants to attract people. But I've said it something like this: He wants us to want to love Him, and so He facilitates that by descending, performing His lila, and so forth and so on. But He makes other possibilities available as well. Hmm? And that's an example. I think it's mentioned somewhere in the in the Purana that Vishnu. Told Mahadev. Of course, we also look at it as as a evolutionary step, so to speak, from Buddhism, which rejects the sacred texts and is atheistic, to uh, an embrace of the sacred text that borders atheism. This is, in one sense, if you look at it like this, then Shankar has a positive contribution to make. If you're going to go from Buddhism to Braj Bhakti, it's a huge leap, conceptually. But to go from Buddhism to a Dwaita Vedanta, is a short step. In fact, in the world today, in contemporary spirituality, people are blurring the two as if there is no distinction. Although there's a huge distinction, they blur the two. And so, the country... India let 's say Bharata Varsha Bharata, 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 was strongly influenced by Buddhism. I guess was it Maharaj Ashok when the king becomes a you know a Buddhist or whatever, then the people become Buddhists too, so it was uh, had uh, prominence and um, and it was kind of a, like a throwing out the baby with the bathwater, discarding the purvati Marg or the Veda, and and much superstition. But um, in the course of doing that, it threw, threw threw out God altogether, too. So along comes Shankar, commissioned by Vishnu, as the Puranas say, and espouses a type of, well, the language is used there, covert Buddhism, in those verses describing that command of Vishnu to Shiva, covert Buddhism. In, in which there's acceptance of the sh- of scripture and and it's also kind of a uh, kind of a theism, at least a lot of language of theism there's worship of God and and so on and so forth. So it's seen as a step. And then from there, you know great people like Ramanuja take us another step forward and so forth. In one sense, all of these people, the Buddha and the Shankar and Ramanuja and all, they're all like, this is all Kali Yuga. So it's all like guest speakers before the main event. They've all got some contribution to make and the main event is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who said very little but did very much, who taught by, they were quite prolific and wordy in comparison. Mahaprabhu said very little but did very much, said his... By his example, he taught. And what he taught, then the Goswami said much about, no doubt, and tried to explain it to the people. So this is the main event of Kali Yuga and the advocacy of Hari Kirtan. But there are other events, and so something like that. Mahaprabhu certainly saw Lord Shiva in a very favorable light, very much appreciative. Of course, this is one aspect of Mahadev that's we uh, sometimes um, deprecate or expose the shortcomings of and so forth, but from the broader perspective, which is what you're talking about, if you go with a broader perspective, then we see it has positive content to it as well. At the same time, that when you want to get specific then, and help someone come to Bhakti, you have to root that out, that impersonalism, as Prabhupada called, it, has to be rooted out. So when it's more specific focus, then we are kind of like attacking that in a, in, a, in a sense. In the broader perspective, we're appreciating it also. It's a positive contribution. Another question?
4: Going back a little bit to Ajra, I going to be backtracking, but um I just was thinking about it. It seems like this trend is more towards the mode of goodness rather than passion and ignorance kind of this rising to the mode of goodness, and I thought also I thought before, it is, is mode of goodness a prerequisite for Christian consciousness, and I guess in one sense we're you know we're always striving to go above the mode of goodness, and I guess I'm just wondering like where does mode of goodness fit in, and also because service, like you're saying, it's all about service and service externally it looks like you're just doing you know you're doing things rather than sitting and meditating mm-hmm. so do we want to be in the mode of goodness or do we just do service
0: well first of all uh, being in the mode of goodness is not a prerequisite for bhakti bhakti will go to people who are influenced by mode of ignorance and passion, Thomas and Rajas goes she goes anywhere. That's her generosity. But having gone there to their hearts and touched them, awakened faith in them and so forth, then what happens is that the effects of Rajas and Thomas, they will first start to be diminished. There will be the initial effects coming from applying oneself in terms of that faith in bhakti that's awakened in the heart. So greed, lust, avarice, all these things, influences of tamaguna, rajaguna, they will be fading into the background. One will become situated in sattva, in goodness. And from there, that's kind of like the lift-off point. Instead of going directly from tamaguna to goloka, there's a gradation within material hierarchy that one will pass through. So, therefore... Comparatively, the mode of modes of passion and ignorance are not uh, as favorable of an environment for bhakti. So bhakti will thrive in material world, so to speak, in a sattvic environment. So it's favorable. So the devotees kind of will cultivate that kind of directly or, or indirectly. They will gravitate towards that. That it would be natural. So that's good. Then, I guess the other part of your question is that we always talk about service, and service is active. It's not sitting peacefully in a sattvic classic sense. And
4: well, yeah, in one sense, you can just do service, but stay in the lower modes, maybe, in like Raja mode.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's not that. Um just keeping busy and serving necessarily means to be in, in a Rajagun as opposed to sitting peacefully, and that constitutes sattva. And then there's two sides to service, too. There's service in this world, and then there's internal service. Lila seva for advanced devotees. They may be sitting, but they're very active. They're very active. And sometimes it will show up also. It's possible. They may be sitting and meditating only, and they may show up with some signs of having had a rendezvous with Krishna. It may show up even on their sadhika deha It's possible. So, they may be active within. So, to keep busy with external service, like even an arch and a deity worship and uh, cooking and growing Tulsi and building the temple, taking care of the cows and all these things, it could become perfect just by doing those things. You won't stay in the mode of ignorance or, or passion by doing that. I mean, I was selling books at airports. That's pretty. doesn't look real sattvic, there, <laughs> I guess. And um, it was good. <laughs> so. Yes?
5: Question in that regard. Uh, in Bhakti Sandarbha, there's the example of the dog catches a bird in its mouth and circumambulates the temple, and the bird gets benefit for circumambulating, even though you know, it didn't do it willingly. Mm-hmm. And so um, my understanding is then that activity, it's talking about how the um, bhakti is like a, a wave, and it, it like can carry someone. And so that activity, even though like the consciousness of the bird wasn't um, in the proper place, that was I guess um, like rishuta Sattva, right? Activity. It wasn't in any of like the material modes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so then that makes me wonder if anyone who's doing um, like srup Bhakti, which is like activity that's um, directly related to Krishna so any service, then would that activity be Vishuddha even if um even if um the consciousness isn't right. So in other words, if a devotee is really distracted and thinking about something else as long as they're doing Sruksiddha bhakti as opposed to like you know Sangha Siddha bhakti or Arupsiddha Bhakti, that, that activity itself is um, is not uh, any of the three modes of material nature.
0: Yeah, the activity is not, but the extent to which one is actually doing the activity um, will be determined by the extent to which one's not doing something else, not preoccupied with something else. Not well,
5: back to the, the thing about the, the bird, you know, and how much is the bird doing the activity? It's totally distracting.
0: Right, so there's, the point is that there's benefit. From that, and the Lord will determine how much, Bhagwan will determine how much. There's inherent benefit in that, but generally speaking, the full benefit in that is not going to come unless both things are together: together. the activity and the awareness of the activity that one's, one's performing. But there are instances in which the full benefit comes from being unaware and doing those things.
5: Yeah, I guess I was just my just kind of more from the angle of. It's often like you think of a devotee being, or it's said that a devotees in like the mode of passion or in doing service. So I was just wondering is that really accurate? Are, is, if As long as they're doing, you know, troops uh, to the bhakti, then is it accurate that even though they, they you know, appear like they're in the mode of uh, passion, are they really? Are, or are they, you know, are they being influenced by that or not?
0: Well, are they doing it for the right reason?
5: No, 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 maybe they're not. Maybe they're half thinking, you know, thinking of something else, but still, and, you know, they're passionate or something. And
0: well, that's the glory of Bhakti, that it will help them regardless. That's the power of such activities. will help them regardless.
5: Maybe it's better to go back to the example with the bird. The bird when the bird is circumambulating the, the temple, it's getting it's getting benefit, right? that's for sure, but what I'm asking about, is the, the bird still, when, that, when it's being carried by Bhakti, is it in one of the modes of material nature or not?
0: Oh, is it, well it may not be transcendentally situated, but it may get a transcendental result. And secondly I'd say that you have to consider that you're not a bird, so what works <laughs> for birds may not work for you. <laughs> They don't have the capacity to be conscious in the first place, consciously participating in bhakti. So you have the capacity to be consciously participating in bhakti or unconsciously participating in bhakti.
5: Yeah. Okay. So maybe I maybe my misunderstanding on another level. I guess what I'm trying to say is that when, when you're like from this perspective, carried by the wave of bhakti, then. I kind of understood that then you're on like the Vishuddha uh, platform, so it's not, it's not in you know, the modes of material nature.
0: But, um, <laughs> well, Bhakti comes and influences one even when they're in the modes of material nature and then enables them to come out of the modes of nature. Bhakti goes into the heart of someone who still has lust and greed and so forth. She doesn't wait till it's gone. And when she goes there, it doesn't mean that, 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 it, that it's gone, but she goes there and more effectively than any other method removes that and situates one transcendentally. Mm-hmm. So it's not that immediately anyone who offers arctic is, is, is... Of course you could offer arctic and die in the process. And There's the story of a mouse, you know, who... What did he do? Mm-hmm. He, Burned st- he
5: stuck in his teeth and he was jumping up and down.
0: And it was on fire, and so it was considered as arctic. But again, he's a mouse, so that's about as good of an arctic as a mouse could offer compared to a human being. We're not mice, so the standard is different for us.
5: So it, it, then um, the correct understanding is that even if you're at, um, you know, you're generally influenced um, by the lower modes, then when you're doing bhakti, At best, you're in
0: Sattva guna. is that what you're saying? Yeah, and in the lower modes of nature of being, their influence is being retired. Mm -hmm. So there's work that Bhakti does in terms of retiring the influence of material nature upon us. Mm -hmm. There's the two sides of Bhakti. She's post-liberated status. And then the other side is her generosity who comes to us in an unliberated state. And affects us. So, when she comes from there and touches us here, it's not that we automatically go there just by her touch, but we have connection with there.
5: Okay, so I think I'm understanding it now. That the bhakti itself, like bhakti, is carrying a person. So the, the bhakti in that act is on the Vishuddha, um platform, and you're like mm-hmm. almost like identifying with it or coming in contact with it, and so. Then you get the benefit, but it's like the bhakti is is pure and exactly because I guess with material things we identify so much with our activities that it's like it's my bhakti or something. It's me doing it, but it's not really that. It's like the bhakti Mm -hmm. is its own flow, and you're coming into contact
2: with
0: that. Right. She remains pure,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and she will for you. You had a question.
2: Yes. Ask, okay, I was looking for the canto um, where Bali Maharaj has surrendered to Krishna and everyone has rejected him. Um, it's actually eight. I think twenty-three, two, and Bali is saying to Krishna, um, "Oh, what great mercy you have shown me, a demon, even though, or you show me more mercy than even showing the demigods, even though I'm a lowly demon." and Prabhupada is explaining in the purport that um, Krishna is Bama grahi janardana that he sees the essence of our desire, and he goes on to say that even if externally we don't look surrendered, if we have that essence, that Krishna accepts our service nonetheless. (laughs) And, And so I was... And then that, and then... See, I lived outside of Association of Devotees for 15 years. I've just moved back to, or to I've just moved to this community, and um, <clears throat> one thing that really helped me was um, knowing that Krishna carried what I lacked and preserved what I have. And so I was just wondering if you might talk a little bit about Baba and...
0: Well, the idea of that uh, phrase, Baba it means that. Um, is, Krishna accepts the spirit of the offering, even if the offering is um, the technical and formal the side of it, the form of the offering is is not um, up to the standard. You know, you you have different things when you make an offering. There's the bhava, there's the dravya, the elements, there's the kriya. So whether your your actions are pure, like Let's say, for example, you're going to offer the RT. So, have you taken a bath and and so forth? And there's so pure in terms of activity, ingredients, pure in terms of ingredients that you got the right ingredients. And you know, you did it. You made the ghee lamp and incense and and so forth. And the ingredients are purified, pure ingredients, pure activity, and bhava, feeling. Emotion, these are the three elements. So of all three, the the latter is the most important. So Babagraha if the other two even are not up to the standard, but that's in place, then Krishna will accept. The other two are in place and that's not in place, then it's not very attractive to Krishna. You may sing and pronounce the words wrong, because you don't know Sanskrit. And so Krishna will say, I think you meant this, Right? Something like that. That's kind of the this, this spirit of it. Mm-hmm. The classic example in uh, in Scripture is Krishna going to to Hastinapur. He was invited by Duryodhana. Duryodhana wanted to get his favor and and get him on his side. So he made a huge arrangement and Krishna entered and there were Brahmins chanting and musicians playing, and a big feast was prepared, and so forth and Krishna entered the city of Hastinapur, and he ignored it all and he went to the house of Vidura. Vidura was um, a sadhu and a devotee, but of low birth and and um, Vidura wasn't home; his wife was there, she was shocked that Krishna had come to their little domicile within you know the big hastinapur the And and rather than going to the palace and so forth, where all these, all the ingredients had been prepared, everything was pukka, first class. And Krishna said, I'm hungry, feed me. And all she had was some bananas. So she peeled the bananas. But in the ecstasy of just having Krishna in her home and wanting to be fed, she was confused, and she was peeling the bananas and throwing away the banana and offering Krishna the peel, and Krishna was eating the peel. So then the word went, came out everywhere, and Krishna's gone to Vidura's house, and Vidura went there with Narada, and he said, this is extraordinary that Krishna's come to my house, and like this, and and um, and Narada said, yeah, well, more than that is that he's eating the peels, this is... Incredible. So she had the right spirit, but obviously there were some things that were uh, not in order. So, this is the idea of Baba Grohitanar. He accepts the essence. In Karma Mark, for example, every ingredient, every activity has to be perfectly in place. If you don't do the yogya exactly right, you won't get the results. There's this huge emphasis on the rules and regulations. And there's a reason for that and the reason is that by emphasizing all these things and the importance of them and so forth people get people's attention and they, they, they do it properly and, and they get a result and and besides the result of like getting a good son because I did this whole yoga just like I want to I got a good husband because I did this just right what else they're getting they're getting another result from following these rules what is that they're getting faith in the scriptural injunctions, so they're coming inside, and by coming inside and developing faith, then gradually they will. The idea is look deeper. What what's really being said in the scripture? And is it just about doing these sacrifices and following these rules to get material advancement? When the height of material advancement is to go to heaven, and from there you come back down, and this doesn't make any sense. And so. They look deeper in it. They come from karma to jñāna and inquire not only about, not rather than about how to have a happy human life, but how to have a spiritual life. Not how to have a happy, religious, God-centered human life, but how to have actual spiritual life and transcend the limitations of humanity and so forth. They from, come from karma to jñāna, from dharma jignashu, inquiry into dharma. They come to inquiry brahma Jignasha, inquiry into brahman Nature of consciousness and so forth, and so there, one becomes relieved of all the rules of karma. Who becomes really a ganisarvadharma, pratyajja? He can reject all of these things. All, of, all he can forgo all of those things. He's fulfilled the purpose of them. You see. And from gan, then there's bhakti, right? Rasa jignashu, inquiry into rasa. Into love and to prem and so forth, higher thing altogether. While the rules are relaxed in jñāna, compared to bhakti, still there are some rules how to conduct oneself in, in, in the context of jñāna, and meditate and and so on and so forth. And then you go to bhakti, and Mahaprabhu says that what he says that nam um, namakari bahudani In my meditation. He says, of Nam, there are no rules, there are no regulations. It's coming Goloka, Dhan hari Nam Sankirtan Kirtan. It's coming from the country of love, Goloka, Goloka Dhan. This is the Dhan of Prem, the wealth of Prem, the treasure of Prem, coming from Goloka, in the form of Nam Sankirtan. Kirtan. was bringing this. So this is the other end of the spectrum, from Karma, Mark to Bhakti. Gan somewhere in between, right? And on this end of the spectrum, no rules. What's here, on karma side, the rules are emphasized entirely. Here, the spirit of, of giving, of devotion, of the feeling is emphasized. There's no feeling over here. There's no feeling for Bhagwan. You're just trying to get something. Following rules, to get a good husband, to get a good daughter to, to get a better job or, or whatever. There's no feeling for that. It's a childish form of religion, actually. Because children just want to take, right? Give me, give me, give me. So karma margas is like that, just childish. But there's something there. And the emphasis is on following the rules that will take them beyond that childishness over time. And on the other end of the spectrum is bhakti. And it's, so it looks very different. Rules are completely Secondary, love the feeling is what's important. That's what's accepted, and the then that's what the whole Bruges is about. They're bewildering even people in Vaikuntha. They're dealing with Bhagawan in such a way that you can't do that. You can't. That's God. You can't deal with him like that. And they're wrestling him to the ground. And, you understand?
2: Eating dirt with him. You know, exactly.
0: All kinds of fun exactly. Exactly. So what's in place there? we have to know that what makes that acceptable is the selflessness and the love that's in place. This is important. This is the emphasis. So, um, you know, we have guidelines and things and ways in which we, we know are more pleasing to Krishna to do than others, but if, even if they are done without the spirit of that, you'd be better off not knowing them and having the right spirit Something like that. And that's the idea of Baba art and This is Krishna. This is what he's like. This is not what other gods and goddesses may be like. Therefore, the, the rationalists. Therefore, you should serve Krishna and just see. Of course, that's not an excuse then for not being pure and with ingredients and activity and and so on and so forth. Because if you really have the right spirit, then you want to know how to do it in a way formally and technically that will be more pleasing also. You want to learn that. That's That will come along with the spirit. But you might not know. And fine. No problem there. So, it speaks of the generosity of Krishna in comparison to all the other gods and, and goddesses. And the is and therefore, who else should you, prop- would you, in your right mind, would you approach? Krishna's most generous. Putana. Putana came to Krishna dressed like a devotee. She wasn't a devotee. Dressed like a devotee. And with the desire to poison the infant, Krishna, with her breast milk. I mean, how insidious, you know. It's the worst possible thing to kill an innocent infant with your breast milk. <laughs> it's like, it would be in the papers for sure. And what did Krishna do? He gave Rabbatsalya Bhakti. He made her an eternal nursemaid, he just ignored all of that. Uddhava, who's very learned, he made this testimony. He said, Who in their right mind would worship any anybody else? Just see Krishna. How much you know, she's only dressed like a devotee and has a very uh, evil purpose, and still he's accepting her. So then if you can extend that further than who in the right mind will worship anybody other than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? <laughs> yes, who is Krishna in his most you know, magnanimous disposition? Yes.
2: That, that was just, raised my mind. Well, what about people nowadays that are dressed as devotees but have a very equal purpose but somehow it's in relation to Krishna?
0: Is, There's a lot of Putanas out there, so huh? <laughs> Hmm?
2: Is that ultimately still for their good? I mean,
0: Well, um, first of all, they're not in the Leela and directly approaching Krishna. So it's a bit different. And whether they're even on the path of bhakti, sometimes it's questionable. And their, their bhakti may constitute really offense to bhakti, Devi, more than anything else. We know that Krishna is generous. That's a fact. But Bhakti Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Acharyas like him have also made comments like Kali Chela, he's dressed like a devotee, she's dressed like a devotee, she wears a tilak, and tilak and a neck bead and so forth, but truly, really she's a disciple of Kali Yuga, doing all things that are unfavorable to Bhakti and, and so forth. So this isn't an advocacy of, of just dressed like a devotee and everything's fine. It is an emphasis on how Generous Krishna is, and we, we we bank on that. But honest people, sincere people, then don't take that, as I say, as a license to be otherwise and to be um, to not have everything else in in place, like the sadanta, what the what the teaching is, and so forth. So, yes, Krishna is generous. That's a fact. And Putana is 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 a good example of that, but. People who are, there are a lot of people, you're right, dressed like devotees, and they're the greatest impediment to explaining bhakti to others because they're hypocritical. So I think we had to factor in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's emphasis and so forth and so on, and what he expected, the standards of his devotees, and, and all. When we look at it like that, we say bhakti's generous in comparison to other paths. But it is a path, and it it, it, it is, there is something that constitutes bhakti, something that doesn't constitute bhakti, and uh, the Saranagata, an advancing devotee, will be accepting things that are favorable. Krishna may be generous to Putana, but he doesn't have to be generous to everybody like that, necessarily. (laughs) We shouldn't bank on that. We shouldn't think, well, look at these, I'm trying so hard, these people are just like, Complete hypocrites, but they're dressed like devotees, so why don't I just relax and I'll get the same results? It won't work like that. running. Maybe it's also because they have a tendency to go after
5: Krishna's devotees, and Krishna didn't inclined to you with that.
0: Well, that's a nice point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Putin went after Krishna, but she didn't go after Krishna's devotees. Many people dressed like devotees are harassing the actual devotees. Mm-hmm. That's unforgivable. <laughs> That's where Krishna draws the line. What else? Yeah.
3: Um, You were talking a little while ago about Leela, Seva. Now, is that just done in the material world, or do the residents of Vrindavan also do Leela, Seva in the mind?
0: Well, they're doing it directly and outside the mind.
3: Okay, so then my question is, If there's like ver- almost unlimited numbers of living entities, like let's suppose, like, um, almost um, Radharani's cooking breakfast for Krishna, right? Yeah, but millions of other people want to cook breakfast for Krishna, and um, and someone wants to make a garland for Krishna, but more than millions also want to make the garland. You know, everyone wants to serve, so how can they, um, you know, do they have to take a number and wait till their day comes. And, you know, because everyone wants to do sure, it. Sure, sure. And you hear that only a few people like cooking, like Mother Yashoda,
0: Mother of and uh, cooking. Mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. They're leaders of the different groups, and, and all the unlimited others are all part of those groups, attached to those particular groups, and Vatsalya Bhakti, and, and um, Sakirasa and... Uh, madhurya Rasa, and so forth. And so, by assisting those group leaders, they're basically assisting the group leaders. And then sometimes the group leader brings them forward to do something them personally, themselves, as well, which is a wonderful opportunity for them. And for the most part, they're serving the group leaders. But they're completely satisfied with that because the group leaders are tasting a particular bhava, preem, and then the devotees who are assisting them are experiencing the same thing. When the devotee, the group leader does it, they're experiencing it because they're identified with the group leader. Just like the handmaidens of Radha, they don't consort directly with Krishna, but when Radha does, and in a in grove, if, if, if he should uh, bite her neck, something may show up on theirs, even though they weren't personally participating. By this called Tad Bhava mai by identifying with the bhava each a desire, Mai filled with the desire for that that and identification with that Bhava. They assist Radha and when she directly consorts with Krishna, they get the result too. Just like a just like a a vine, krishna Krishnaas gives the example in Gubindali Lamrita If you water it, the vine is Radha and for all the 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 uh, blossoms, the manjari's—they're also nourished by that, right? So they serve her. He serves. So it's das das, anudas, something like that. It's not like linear. Bhava is very expansive. Yeah. That's kind of
2: nice
0: because, like, in
3: the
5: beginning, I think a lot of people think in this world you serve the Guru and then you go to the Noka and you serve Krishna but it's really more like you're serving the Guru here and then you're serving the Guru there too mm-hmm. um, in a different context but still, you know That's right. like you said, you're offering the Garland to your Guru and then, you know, it doesn't stop when you
0: go there Right Alright, well it was nice chatting with you we we'll stop there. jai. Maharaj Maharaj ki ki jai.